0: chapter 20 verse 17 to 38 let's read from Miletus Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church when they arrived he said to them you know how I lived the whole time I was with you from the first day I came into the province of Asia I served the Lord with great humility and with tears although I was severely tested by the plots of the Jews you know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you but i have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he brought with his own blood, I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning you, each of you night and day with tears. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. When he had said this, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. Hey everyone, it's great
1: to see you. And in two weeks time, I really will get to see you. We'll all be together for Octo Church. Look, I'd love to say that I actually had October in mind. I barely know what day it is, let alone what month it is. Uh, Really, I just was riffing off Octonauts. I just kind of want to be, what is it, Captain Barnacles. Uh, I want you to come. I want you to. I know that over the months you've gotten used to the idea of doing church at home and having a coffee and those things, but look, God's people gather. Uh, Heaven is not going to be a Zoom meeting. God's people gather together, and so we're really wanting to be getting back together, especially because really it could be any day that the government, the state government allows us to have more people than 100. I don't know whether you realise, but pubs can already have 300 people. Uh, And so it could be any day that our state government says, yes, churches can come in line with pubs. And in fact, if you've got to spend a bit of time this week, I would love for you to write an email to the Premier saying, look, we'd love for churches to be treated the same way as pubs are, for churches to have 300 people. If you've got a bit of time, flick an email this week, but make sure you come. We'll still be doing the live stream, but it won't be like this. Most likely, what it's going to be is a filmed version of what's happening uh, at Lake Mac or or more likely here at The Hub. Now, look, February seems an awful long time ago now, doesn't it? Because February was BC. February was before COVID. But back in February, the whole Christian world was rocked when the CEO of the world's largest church planting movement was stood down for abusive leadership and for bullying. The movement is Acts 29. It's planted over 800 churches on six continents. They've had a huge impact. There's a great Acts 29 church here in Newcastle. And Steve Timmis was their CEO. Steve Timmis had a worldwide reputation. He had a worldwide ministry. But in February, he was removed. One of the articles written said, 15 people who served under Timmis described to Christianity today a pattern of spiritual abuse through bullying and intimidation, overbearing demands in the name of mission and discipline, rejection of critical feedback and an expectation of unconditional loyalty. Look, it's important to say, we're an awful long way away on the other side of the world. We don't actually know what really happened, but all of this actually meant that Steve Timmis had to go. And in the weeks that followed, before the whole thing just got drowned out completely by COVID, there was actually lots of talk about whether this was a one-off or is there a widespread problem of leadership in churches, of abusive leaders and overbearing leaders and spiritual abuse. And look, my guess is that some of you out there today watching will look back on your own experience in churches and say, yes, I've had pastors who are bullies. This is a real problem and I've seen it. Others of us might say, well, maybe it does happen out there, but I've never personally experienced it. In fact, you might even think that your leaders haven't been decisive enough. For my own story, I've got to say I have been incredibly blessed. Overwhelmingly, the pastors I've had have been outstanding Christians. They've been generous and faithful and gentle. And the people that I've worked to, worked for have been fantastic as well. I mean, they've all had their faults. But my personal experience has been really blessed. But no matter what your experience has been, Acts chapter 20 really helps us to think through leadership in church. Because in Acts 20, Paul calls the Ephesian elders to him at Miletus. He calls the leaders of the church and he teaches them about leadership. And in fact, these are Paul's parting words to them. Because down in verse 25, he says, Now I know that none of you among whom I've gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. These are Paul's final words to these leaders. And so this is the view of leadership that he wants echoing in their ears, and it's incredibly helpful for us. But look, as we start, you might be sitting there thinking, well, today's talk's not really for me. There's not gonna be much in it for me because I'm not a pastor, I'm not an elder. But look, Acts chapter 20 has loads of stuff for you. Firstly, even if you're not a leader, it'll help you know what to look for in leaders And it'll help you to know what to pray for your leaders. But secondly, there's every chance that you are a leader in our church because we have literally hundreds of leaders in our church. We've got growth groups leaders and kids church leaders and youth leaders and band leaders and rush leaders and wave leaders and life table leaders and connect series leaders and M champs and MTSs and harvest leaders. We have hundreds of people in our church who lead other people. And even though Paul's talking here to the leaders of a whole church, he shows them the character of what all Christian leadership should look like. So you may not be an elder, you may not be a pastor, but Acts 20 is still for you. And the key verse is probably verse 28, where Paul says, Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers be shepherds of the church of god which he bought with his own blood i reckon that's probably the key verse and so we're going to spend some time there and to kick us off i want you to notice how paul describes the church be shepherds of the church of god which he bought with his own blood those words are incredibly helpful for defining leadership i want us to see two things two key things about how this is going to help us to lead firstly whose church it really is. Hunter Bible Church is not my church, even though I've led it for more than 20 years. It's not the staff or the elders' church. And look, Hunter Bible Church is not your church either. It's God's church. It's Jesus' church, which he bought with his own blood. And look, just as an aside, this is actually one of those lovely verses where Jesus is called God. There are some people out there who'll say the Bible doesn't teach that Jesus is God. But who is it that shed his blood for the church? It's Jesus who did that on the cross. And what does Paul call him here? God. This is one of those clear times where Jesus is called God. And Paul's point is, it's Jesus' church. And you know, this has actually been one of the foundational guiding principles all the way through my ministry. Every day, I've tried to remind myself that Hunter Bible Church is Jesus' church and not mine. If you lead a growth group, that group you lead is Jesus' group, not yours. If you lead a kids' class, there are people leading a kids' class below me now. They are Jesus' kids. And look, when you remember that, it changes the way you do things, doesn't it? Because for one, it means that I don't lead Hunter Bible Church to please myself. One of the things people kind of assume is that as the senior pastor, I must get everything my way. Nothing could be further from the truth, in part because I've never wanted to be a micromanager. I've never wanted to be the person who always has to get his own way. But I've never wanted to lead our church in a way that, where it's all about what I would prefer or what makes my life easier or, or what furthers my career, because I know that one day I'm going to stand before Jesus as my master and I'm going to answer to him because it's his church. I'm just a servant. And that's a scary thought, isn't it? For anyone in any kind of leadership, it's the kind of thought that stops me from becoming overbearing. It stops me from being arrogant or a bully because I know I'm going to have to stand before Jesus. But you know, one other thing that stops me from becoming is weak. See, one of the patterns that's happened in churches over the last 10, 15 years or so is pastors becoming afraid to lead. They're afraid of being called overbearing and, and abusive. They become afraid of people's judgment so they don't lead anywhere. And look, I get that. I get how open any leader is to being challenged about abuse But what I keep telling myself is it's not people's judgment that matters. It's Jesus' judgment. It's Jesus' church, and I ought to fear Him, not human criticism. So if you lead anything in our church, whether it's Rush or Youth or whatever it is, remind yourself constantly this this is Jesus' group you're leading, Jesus' team, they're Jesus' kids. Aim to please Him and you will avoid both arrogance and weakness. But, you know, the second thing we see about Jesus' church here in verse 28 is just how incredibly precious it is. The church is the flock that Jesus bought with his own blood. A flock's a precious thing, isn't it? It's living beings. And Jesus bought his flock with his own blood. Think about that for a moment. That's an incredible price tag, isn't it? What is the most expensive thing you've ever held in your hands? I once was allowed to to hold a watch in my hands that cost more than $100,000. It was extraordinary. The weird thing was it actually kept worse time than a $5 Casio. But anyway, Jesus bought his church with his own blood, the blood of God himself. You can't get a higher price than that, can you? The fact is, outside of God himself, the church is the most precious thing in the universe. There's no higher price tag, there's nothing more precious than God's own blood and that's what Jesus bought his church with. Now when I realize that, when I realize how precious Jesus' church is, it totally changes the way I treat it. It changes what it means to belong to Jesus' church for a start, because any leader, you belong to the church before you lead it. Jesus' church is something I feel incredibly privileged to belong to. What an honor to be part of the thing that Jesus paid for with his own blood. That means I never want to damage Jesus' church. I never want to divide it. I never want to cause Jesus' church unnecessary pain. I want to be really careful how I talk about this thing that Jesus bought with his own blood. I don't want to moan about it or complain about it or be cynical about it. Jesus' church isn't something to badmouth; It's something to cherish. And sure, when things go wrong, I want to take them seriously. After all, Jesus took his church seriously. But I never want to do anything flippant with Jesus' church. I never want to damage the thing Jesus bought with his own blood. It changes what it means to belong to the church. But, you know, it also changes how I lead. Being a leader in Jesus' church is an indescribable privilege. Sometimes I can find myself slipping into thinking that leading is a sacrifice on my part. If you're a leader, I don't know whether you've had these thoughts where you think, well, look look how much I have to give up for this. Look at all the things that I'm giving. I hope people are grateful for, for how hard I'm working and all the things that I do. And look, if you are a leader, I hope we are grateful to you and I hope you actually feel that you're valued but that's not the way I want to think about leading at all, is it? Serving's not a sacrifice. It's a privilege. I get to serve the most precious thing in the universe. This is Jesus' church that he bought with his own blood. It's Jesus' church, and it's precious beyond compare. That's what Paul teaches us about the church here. So what's the job of a leader then? What does Jesus want the leaders to do in his own church? Well, Paul describes leaders here as watchful shepherds and overseers. So look again in verse 28. He says, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. See the two words Paul uses for leaders there? Shepherds and overseers. And at their heart, both of those words are about guarding. So the shepherd watches over the sheep. The overseer is a guardian of someone. That's the key role of Christian leadership, watching and guarding. And so Paul tells the leaders in verse 28 there, keep watch. But you know, funnily enough, The thing that Paul says leaders are to watch first isn't actually the flock. It's not the church. Now, look in verse 28. Paul says, keep watch over yourselves. You see, the first job of any leader is actually to keep watch over their own Christian life. It's not just here that Paul says it. In 1 Timothy 3, Paul's talking about elders or leaders again. And most of what he says is actually about who Christians are, who Christian leaders are. He says, now, the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. I notice Paul actually says very little there about the skills that a leader needs, does he? It's almost all about the character they need. Now, why is that? Is it because skills don't actually matter very much? No, of course skills matter. Paul says that the elders should actually be able to teach. But our gods always cared more about the character of leaders than the giftedness of leaders. So King Saul stood head and shoulders above the rest, quite literally. But God rejected him and chose a teenage shepherd boy to lead Israel. Why? Because God looks on the heart not the external. God's always wanted leaders whose character is like his own. And one of the mistakes that churches are always tempted to make when it comes to leaders, no matter what form of leadership, the senior pastor right the way down to the youth leader, one of the mistakes we're always tempted to make is to choose leaders on the basis of gifts instead of character. So we see people with vision or charisma, or reputation, or drive, or sometimes just availability. And we're wooed into thinking that this is what makes for a good teacher. But it doesn't. That just makes for a competent leader. A good leader is someone whose character is like Jesus. And in Acts 20, Paul is actually a wonderful model for us. Have a look in verse 17. From my leaders, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church, And when they arrived, he said to them, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. See, Paul says, you guys know how I lived. You saw how I served Jesus. You saw my humility. You saw how I reacted when I was mistreated by the Jews. This is a shepherd who has kept watch over himself. Or look down in verse 33. Paul says, I haven't coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. See, greed and money is always a temptation for leaders. But Paul says, well, you've seen my life. You've seen how I've kept watch over myself when it comes to possessions. And so look, Hunter Bible Church What I want you to do is this pray for our leaders at every level pray that they'll be competent sure but pray for their character pray for the things in 1 Timothy 3 that they'll be self-controlled and gentle and not lovers of money pray that they'll keep watch over their character more than their popularity one reason to pray for leaders is they don't often have shepherds helping them as much you see as you become a leader you tend to get less and less shepherding from others and more and more it's up to you to grow as a christian it's up to you to make sure you're reading the bible and to make sure you're striving for godliness shepherds tend to spend more time shepherding than being shepherded and sure the flock can encourage the leader the growth group can really encourage its leader but notice paul says to the leaders to keep watch over themselves He doesn't say to the church, you watch over the leaders. He says to the shepherd, no, you watch yourself. And so pray for your leaders that they'll keep watch over themselves. Now, of course, if you're someone who's just becoming a leader in our church, you know one temptation that you are bound to face? It's thinking this, now that I've got this position as a leader, It's time I finally got my act together. (laughs) Now that I'm a growth group leader, I really should get on top of that sin. Now that I'm a youth leader, I really should get serious about sexual purity. As if the position motivates me to be godly. But a leadership position is never a motivation for being godly. Jesus is our motivation for godliness. If your motivation for getting rid of a particular sin is that you're a rush leader now or you're a band leader, then as soon as the novelty of leading wears off, so do your motivation for being godly. No, we watch over ourselves as leaders because we're part of Jesus' flock too. We want the same things for ourselves as we want for anyone in our team. We want to see ourselves becoming more devoted to Jesus every year. We want to see ourselves growing to look more like Jesus every year so let me speak to you leaders for a minute. Are you keeping watch over yourself? Are you really wholeheartedly looking to serve Jesus? Are there sins in your life that you've grown familiar with, blasé about, maybe a little bit lazy about? It's time to deal with them. Keep watch over your own soul. Be a good shepherd of your soul and take steps today. It might be that you need to talk to someone to get help, that you actually need to confess and bring it out into the light. But don't be one of those leaders who watches the flock without watching your own soul. Keep watch over yourself. But you know, the second thing that Paul tells leaders to watch over is Jesus' flock. Have another look in verse 28. He says keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the holy spirit has made you overseas be shepherds of the church of god which he bought with his own blood leaders are to watch over jesus flock and look there really is a sense there of guarding isn't there there's a sense of protection and that's because paul can see that jesus sheep are actually vulnerable Look what he says in verse 29. He says, I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you day and night with tears. See, Paul knew that there were predators out there looking to devour God's flock. Savage wolves are going to come in from among you, come in among you, he says. And what he means there in verse 29 is people who will arise to distort the truth and draw away disciples after them. That is, Paul's talking about wolves of people who want to draw people to follow them rather than to follow Jesus, essentially creating a, a cult of personality. And look, you might be thinking, yeah, yeah, but that's Ephesus, not Newcastle. Maybe maybe we're not in the same kind of danger. Maybe Paul is just thinking about a specific problem in Ephesus and we won't have the wolves. Except look what he says in verse 31. He says, so be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you day and night with tears. Paul's been warning this Ephesian church about wolves for three years now because it's not specific wolves he had in mind. No, the fact is, the wolves are always there. Verse 30, the distorters of the truth are always there. And in fact, if anything, there are more wolves now than there ever were in Ephesus, because we have so much more access to different people's teaching now. With books and radio and the internet and podcasts, there are a multitude of opportunities for our sheep to stumble into the clutches of wolves. Whatever the latest book happens to be, whatever the latest Christian fad happens to be. Our Christian world is now so small that the wolves are always prowling among us. So what kind of leader do you want? What should you be praying for your leaders? If you're a leader, what kind of leader should you be aiming to be? A leader who watches, who watches carefully over the flock. Now let me give you two outworkings of this two outworkings of being a watchful leader. One is, we don't want leaders who just do their job. We want leaders who shepherd sheep. That is, you don't want a growth group leader who just writes the studies, do you? You want a growth group leader who actually cares about your Christian life. We don't want youth leaders who just run a great Friday night No, we also want youth leaders who really know and care about the lives of the youth in our church. I trained as an Anglican minister in Sydney, and and when young Anglican ministers get sent out to their first church, this is what they're told their job is. Accordingly, consider in yourself the purpose of your ministry to the children of God. And see that you never cease your labor, your care, and your diligence until you have done all that lies in you according to your bounden duty to bring all who are under your care to faith and knowledge of God and to maturity in Christ, which leaves no place for error or viciousness viciousness of life. Now, the language there is a bit posh, but can you see what the goal is? It's not just to write a study. It's not just to write a talk or to lead a good team meeting. No, the focus is to bring the people of God who are under our care to faith and knowledge of God to maturity that leaves no room for error or viciousness of life. It comes down to this. Leadership is about people and the lives they lead. And good leaders watch people. Good leaders lose sleep about the lives of the people they lead. Good leaders will pray for them. They fret about them. They call them and catch up with them at church. They ask how that thing in their life is going. Sometimes good leaders will even challenge us about our lives. Now look, no one likes being challenged about sin, do they? On the one hand, I, I, I'd much rather a leader who didn't talk to me about my generosity or my godliness or my prayer life or the thing they heard me to say but no good leader watches over their sheep. Don't complain if your growth group leader or your ministry team leader challenges you about your life. Don't blame them, even if they get bits of it wrong or if they've misunderstood or maybe they muck the conversation up. Thank God that you have a leader who does more than just their job, but who actually watches over the flock. In your heart of hearts, isn't that the kind of shepherds you actually want? But of course, the second thing we want from leaders who watch over us is that they teach us God's word. So look up in verse thirty-two. Paul says, "Now I commit to you God. Now I commit you to God, and to the word of His grace, which can build you up, and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified." See, Paul commits the Ephesian leaders to God and to the word of grace. Why? Because it's the word that's how God builds his people. And just as an aside, I really love the way the gospel is described there. What is Christianity? It's a word of grace. Christianity is not a word of law. It's not a word of self-improvement. It's not a word of duty. It's not a word of goodness. It's not a word of religion. Christianity is a word of grace, the grace of God who loved us and sent his son to die for us, not because we deserved anything, but because he is just so loving and gracious and kind. And we want shepherds who keep pointing us to that word of grace, don't we? We want shepherds like Paul. So look what Paul says in verse 20. He says, you know that I haven't hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you but I've taught you publicly and from house to house. I've declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. See, Paul says, I'll teach you anything that's helpful to you. And then again, down in verse 25, he says, now I know that none of you among whom I've gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. That's what a watchful shepherd does. This is how shepherds watch over the flock and protect them from the wolves by feeding them with God's word. And so again, pray for your leaders that they will shepherd you from the word of God. Pray that they won't take shortcuts in preparation. Pray that they won't leave out the unpopular bits. Pray that they'll proclaim the whole will of God and look, encourage them to do it. I know it's really easy to take faithful Bible teaching for granted and to complain when it's not scintillating. So when the Bible talk isn't as entertaining as it could be or when the growth group discussions may be not as lively as it could be or especially when it's not as practical as it could be, it's easy to complain then, isn't it? And look, don't get me wrong. If I can, I want, I want scintillating Bible teaching as well and great discussions if I can get them. But, you know, I will always be thankful for the preacher or the youth leader, or the rush leader, or the growth group leader, who proclaims to me the whole will of God. In verse 21, you get a great measure of what a good sermon, a good Bible study, a good talk is all about. When the preacher reminds me that I need to turn to God in repentance and have faith in the Lord Jesus, no matter how many times I've heard that message, I'll always thank God for it, because that's a leader, a shepherd who's watching over me. Now, of course, at this point, I reckon just about every leader in our church is ready to pack up and resign, right? What a job. Watching over yourself and your whole life and getting rid of sin and watching over God's flock and guarding them from the wolves and proclaiming the whole will of God. Who's up for that? Well, look, thankfully, Paul gives us two wonderful words of encouragement here. The first one's verse 28. Take a look. He says, Keep watch over yourselves. And all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Even if you do feel overwhelmed as a leader, know this. The Holy Spirit has placed you there. It's a wonderful thing about the sovereignty of God. The Ephesian elders were probably actually chosen by Paul. But verse 28, he says the Holy Spirit is the one who made them overseers. As you lead a growth group, or Rush, or Youth, or a Life Table, or Connect Series, you do it because God in His sovereignty has placed you there. God's entrusted that little flock to you, which I think is an incredibly comforting notion. God has chosen you for this role, not just us. You know, the second encouraging thing Paul says is verse 32, where he says says this to the elders, Now I commit you to God and to the word of His grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Paul commits this group of Ephesian leaders and their whole church to God. Because God is the ultimate shepherd of the Ephesian church, isn't He? Just like He's the ultimate shepherd of Hunter Bible Church. And as weak as we are, God's strong. He'll keep watch over His people. As ignorant as I am, God's wise. He'll teach his people. God will shepherd his flock. All you need to do, if you're a leader, is faithfully discharge your job. Keep watch over yourself. Keep watch over the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseas. Love them and teach them the word. Shall I pray for our leaders? Let's pray. Our great God, We praise you because you are the great shepherd of the sheep. And we praise you that our church is Jesus' church. To think that he bought us with his own blood. What a precious, precious thing. We pray that that would change not just how we lead the church, but also how we belong to it. May we never damage this precious thing that Jesus bought with his blood. And we pray for our leaders. We ask that you would enable them to keep watch over themselves. We pray that they would diligently care for their own souls, that they would be faithful in Bible reading and prayer, in putting aside sin and living in this word of grace. And we also pray that they would keep watch over us. They would care not just about discharging a job, writing a talk, but actually about us as sheep. We pray that they'll even challenge us about our godliness. And we pray that they'll do it with the word open. We pray for our leaders that like Paul, they would be able to say that they have not hesitated to say anything that was helpful, that they have taught the whole will of God. We pray for leaders who love the word, who dwell on it, who live it, and then faithfully speak it. And we pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would work through them, to shepherd us your sheep. Amen.